Hello, welcome to Game Night. This is Geek Gab's special RPG show. I'm your host, Dornal. With me today, as usual, is my inimitable co-host, Daddy Warpig. Say hello, Daddy Warpig. Hello, Daddy Warpig. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Obvious so joke, but it had to be made. Had, had to happen. Uh, we use corny jokes in place of technical di difficulties on Game Night. Uh... If you've clicked on a link and read the title, you know that we're talking about Dungeon Fantasy uh, and uh, and GURPS. My special guest today is a frequent guest on the show, Douglas Cole. Douglas Cole, welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. And our special guest for today uh, works for Steve Jackson Games. Uh, his name is Dr. Crom, also known as Sean Punch. I was probably supposed to say that the other way around, but... It sounds better that way. Well, thanks. Anyway, it's not important. As long as, <laughs> as, long as I have an identity, I'm happy. Thanks for having me here. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Sean. But specifically, he's the designer, or the lead designer of the GURPS 4th edition. So, Yeah, so, so your official title is the, the GURPS line editor. Is that right? Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I'm called. It's line developer at some other publisher. Same idea, though. It's it, it's it's kind of a it's kind of an underwhelming title for basically you're responsible for GURPS. Is that right? It's an underwhelming title for I buy a lot of aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. And and I have I have a confession to make. Something that I I waited till the show started to make. I've played GURPS maybe once. I'm I I'm not terribly familiar with. Uh, the rule system or, or the game itself. Well, based that on can, the that can be forgiven, <laughs> and based on the chatter on most forums, if you've played it once, you're ahead of ninety-five percent of the population. <laughs> See, I own. Oh, Chris, Chris, you guys are going to have to help me. Gerps has quite a reputation. We already have Kestudis in chat asking when we're going to see Gerps asparagus. <laughs> that's based on an internet meme there was a an image somebody made a long time ago of like 80 trillion fake well real GURPS books but also some fake ones and they just shopped in all these crazy titles and one of them was GURPS asparagus and it was a super big dig at the fact we had some pretty specialized books out there at one point <laughs> what was awesome about third edition um was all of the various you know, for the most part, really well written, really well researched source books. I've got like, I've I've only played GURPS once or twice as well, and I've got like forty third edition source books in my room here. Um, so it was it was very very useful and sold a lot of books even to people who didn't necessarily play. I think that that's definitely true. the The third edition books are are. Uh, a treasure trove to be mined. Uh, I will say that although the number of 128-page softbacks has obviously declined, um, the the PDF population and the hardbacks that do come out that aren't tied to a license are still very thoroughly researched. Um, and it is something that GURPS is known for and Steve Jackson Games is known for. And you know, the playtester community is uh, a resource that we mine frequently. Uh, I remember when I was on the GURPS low-tech playtest, um, people would, you know, one guy who was a, a medieval historian who happened to own a full armor kit, like, would sit there and he, like, take it on, put it on and take it off, like, ten times just to see how quickly a, an expert could do it. Or, you know, oh, well, well how much does kendo gear way that was when sean and peter del orto were writing gurps martial arts and i happened to have a full set of kendo gear so peter's like hey you know go measure your stuff okay we'll measure stuff so it, it's it's a nice community that is uh, very responsive to requests for for fact checking um you know but the i think the market has turned and and the bringing a grounding in rules light or high speed or tailored play uh you know was something that i think gurps needed and and sean was good enough to uh provide it by whittling down gurps asparagus into uh, the just a bite-sized meal 
Yeah, that's pretty much what we did with the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. I, uh, it was a lot of work, to be honest. I had to sit down with an awful lot of material and, and make it more or less self-contained, because GURPS really isn't self-contained. It goes on forever and ever, and as Doug said, there's still tons of material coming out. PDF has almost been a... It's been a blessing in some ways, because it allows people to have shorter shorter materials, and sometimes somebody wants to write, they don't really want to commit to writing 128 pages or more, but they commit to writing a small item. It's within their area of expertise. They do the research, get it done, get it out to people, and carry on. But the downside, if you call it that, is that that creates a great deal of material. And just while Doug was talking, I called up my uh, directory of all these PDFs, and I'm still scrolling through it. I'm scrolling. <laughs> it's really rather large. It's larger than I realized, and I do this for a living. And Getting that, the parts that were relevant of it into Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game was quite a challenge. It took me a lot of time to give you some perspective. Um, in terms of word count, it was a fraction of what the fourth edition core rules were. But uh, in terms of years of time, really more like months, and in terms of manpower, because I was alone instead of with a co-author, as I was with the fourth edition, it was four to six times as much work in terms of words processed per minute or headaches per hour, or however you want to measure that, per person. So it was a significant amount of work. And uh, yeah, I think Doug's absolutely right. We needed to condense the asparagus down to something a little more, I mean, perhaps not quite as condensed as throw back this meal replacement and you're done, but definitely a little more interesting than than, than everything all at once. It's the whole buffet. You have to eat it all. Right, right. And and help help clarify this in my mind for me, because we're talking about two slightly different things. You had to do all that work for GURPS 4th edition, but, uh, but you also did a lot of that work for the Dungeon Fantasy RPG, which you've mentioned in a couple of other places, is not GURPS. It's, it's, a, it's a full RPG that's made from GURPS. Is that right? Yeah, I'll give you a two-part answer. Part one is, yeah, there's two different things here. Fourth edition was just a continuation of GURPS, which had a third, second, and first edition, evidently. And, uh, you know, compressing everything, weeding out the garbage, et cetera, was part of my job back 2002, 2004 when I did that. And then just recently, uh, a little over a year ago, worked on the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. That is a game based on GURPS. We like to use the term, this is marketing speak now, so if you don't like marketing speak, people cover your ears, but it's powered by GURPS, which is just a polite way of saying GURPS was the origin of it, but we took liberties with GURPS where that just seemed too complicated, and we made sure, more important perhaps, we made sure that uh, it would be standalone. Everything in the box is what you need to play the game. There's no need to go seeking supplements hither and yon at some obscure game shop or hanging out in dark corners of the dark web, making huge bids on Odoprint supplements or anything like that. So, so it's a it's a big box set that's sort of reminiscent of the original or the basic uh, Dungeons and Dragons sets back in like 1979. But the better dice, you don't have to like ink in the dice with a crummy crayon, and the corners won't wear off. But yeah, it's the same idea. Now, you guys don't do a lot of Powered by GURPS games. The last one I can remember is what, Transhuman Space? Am I wrong? Sort of depends how you count it. This is like, now we're, now we're talking about which way you want to slice the melon or whatever fruit you have to like <laughs> slicing. Uh, you got a katana, slice some fruit. I don't care. The point is that uh, in-house, yeah, we had uh, a couple things we developed in-house Powered by GURPS. I, I would say that probably the last in-house powered by GURPS would have actually been a Discworld role-playing game, which was a new edition of a previous. And before that, yeah, probably would have been Transhuman Space. And in there is also a Hellboy role-playing game, one or two others. And we also licensed out a couple things. I know I'm sort of foreshadowing Doug here a bit, but we licensed out a couple things that were powered by GURPS. One was uh, Conspiracy X, powered by GURPS, which uh, Eden took on. And the other was... Uh, Prime Directive, powered by GURPS, which was the work of Amarillo Design Bureau. I, I just want to jump in and say, if you can find the GURPS Conspiracy X game, um, Sean did a wonderful job on converting the resource points. There's a little mechanic in there, I think, um, that I used to great effect in an old Black Ops campaign. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just can't get over the uh, picture of powered by GURPS on all these role-playing games. Have you guys thought to print out those little stickers that they used to put on computers where 
you would you would buy a box of dungeon fantasy RPG and it just had a little sticker in the corner that says GURPS inside. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I suspect marketing has at least thought about it. They think about a whole lot of things. It's it's sort of what marketing people do. I'm looking at the Intel inside sticker on my own computer right now and kind of laughing inside, but uh, so laughter inside over here, but um, crying yeah, on the outside, yeah, but laughing inside. <laughs> well, you know, it's the life of the game designer. But yeah, it's the case that uh, I think there's not enough stuff to really make that. As you said, there's not a lot of power by groups out there, so I think probably that would would be a little premature to get crazy with the marketing. But at the same time, uh, I have hopes that perhaps Dungeon Fantasy role playing game will spur more interest in this direction. So we'll see. Now, uh, I'm not. I wasn't familiar with Dungeon Fantasy RPG. Uh, you, did you initially? I saw that you did a Kickstarter for that. Was that just to fund the whole project? Yeah. The thing is, is this: the RPGs aren't the biggest chunk of the market anymore. When I started with Steve Jackson Games, that was in 1995. RPGs were pretty much what the company did. There were some other games, but that was the main thing. But over the course of time, you know yourself because. You, you guys are games experts. You know yourself, the end thing right now is not necessarily RPGs. There's tons of other stuff people are into. There's cards, there's dice, there's board games, there's things like click and shoot in the air, and goodness knows what else the kid's doing these days. And, uh, and some of it's even digital. And that sounds rude if you think of what digital means. But the the key thing is that, uh, yeah, it, it's it's not such a big chunk of the business anymore that we can reliably bet on, okay, we're just going to do a box set for an RPG at a time when box sets for RPG aren't the thing people's doing. So we decided, well, in order to make this less of a gamble for us, we would we would, we would crowd, crowdfund it, and Kickstarter is the office tool for that these days. And uh, that's exactly what we did. And it came out fairly well for us in the sense that um, it was funded really quite rapidly. It got funded long before its deadline and uh, went to stretch goals and so forth, which was great. Uh, and I know that if we do something similar in the future, that's definitely how we're going to go about it. Yeah, that that's great to hear. I'm glad that you brought that up because it... I brought up the business side of it because it sounds like... I'm sorry. It, it sounds like even if an established company, like a, a famous company like Steve Jackson Games, has to consider that, then that tells you a lot about the current... RPG market. On the other hand, that you can easily fund such a project shows that, that you know RPGs have always been a niche, but uh, it's a strong niche with well disposable income. We love it. Yeah, and and I think that you know as someone who's in the middle of a of a Kickstarter right now, you know there's a uh, you know there's a trick to it, right? I mean Matt Colville just did a two or two point two million dollar kickstarter but that's really built off of his twitch streaming now i can't wait to get a hold of the book because i'm interested in in the domain game um but you know steve jackson games is one of the oldest two truly surviving companies i think um in the market right there's no tsr anymore right most of the most of the other ones got bought up or or folded or or merged with somebody so, you know, Steve Jackson Games comes out with a game, especially given their editorial standards and reputation for quality, you know you're going to get it. You may get it. You know, Ogre was a bit of a heavy lift, um, but that, <laughs> that, was, that was their first one. Um, but, you know, you, you know you're going to get it. Like, you know, for someone like me, you know, it, it, or, or if, you know, if for whatever reason Wizards of the Coast decided to kickstart something, then I'm sure that you know they would pull from the ginormous fan base that they have, um, but it's very much a game of of um, your fan base drives your success, and you need tens of thousands of people in that fan base uh, before you can look at a project like the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game and say, okay, I'm fairly sure we can reliably count on six figures here. Um, well, here's here's the other thing, Doug, is that not only is there the the basic idea of okay, can we fund this? Is this something the market will support? There's also to be considered what people want is frequently a. You made the joke about heavy lifting or whatever there a second ago. People want big, impressive products frequently, and the thing with those is they're expensive to produce. Look at the Dungeon Fantasy role playing game. It's 
it's yeah it's got books in it but it's also got colorful poster maps it's got cardboard figures it's got dice it's got all this these bits and pieces and it's hefty ogre was even heftier i mean that thing is insane i i i, I remember picking that up for the first time and seriously wondering how many lawsuits we're going to get from people who weren't in very good shape picking up games because people want that kind of stuff and that nice sort of hands-on toy feeling to a game is really hard to provide on a budget a sensible budget that's a good point uh, that reminds me of a conversation i just had with someone about board games look what happened to, to board games in the past 10 or 12 years since kickstarter has been big uh what was think about the types of games you saw in game stores uh, 10, 15 years ago, cheap ass games. Literally, the name of the company, cheap ass games. Yep. They had amazing games with absolutely no production costs. It was just like printed on notebook paper, sorts of games. But they were fun and interesting and engaging games. But nowadays, if you look at the most popular games being played right now on people's tabletops, among the top are Gloomhaven, massive Kickstarter, massive production values. Scythe, massive Kickstarter, massive production values. Um, Rising Sun just came out. <clears throat> Spoiler: It's actually not that enjoyable of a game, but <laughs> the but the art and the and the components are top top quality. It's an absolutely gorgeous game, and that's what people want out of their hobby these days. You know, just but here, yeah, but here's the trick. If I can jump in, you get maybe a month or two before the next awesome Kickstarter comes along and pushes you out of your favorite local gaming store. So the market, Andrew Hackard made a casual comment on the GURPS forums. He said, the demand curve for games that sit in game shelves these days looks like half dome in Yosemite. It comes up and then you're done. Um, and that's in a way one of the issues that, that the uh, industry and, and is facing is you're going to have this big awesome kickstarter and before you used to be able to say oh you know i'll i, I got pre-orders i have a thousand pre-orders so i'll order a ten thousand unit run and over the long tail i will sell that out and fund the next run basically that's no longer true unless you bottle lightning somehow and that's hard to predict your kickstarter and maybe 50% more or 100% more is maybe all you get. And so even with crowdfunding, it still becomes a risk because unless your unit cost is sufficient to after the distribution channel takes 50 to 60% out, unless you your material cost is low enough that you can pay for the game that's going out, pay for the next one and have a profit, then you're looking at an incredibly painful experience, which is, you know, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to print this one run. We're going to give it to backers. And now we're going to have to back away from it because it's not self-sustaining. Um, and that's not unique to role-playing games. That, that's something that I think the overall game market, with the exception of a few hot rockets, is feeling. I, I think this is actually something that has always existed, and what people are experiencing now is the compressed time scale. I, I'm not so young. I'm 50, going on 51. I've been gaming since the late 70s. And when I started gaming, I remember we'd go to the game shop every freaking week, sometimes twice a week, and there were competing game shops. We'd go to all of them, see who had the coolest stuff, and we'd get something different. And there wasn't even that much stuff at the time. We'd still do that. The only difference is now, with, with the capability of pulling what your customers want online and getting funding online and advertising online and creating digital product and digital support and sending your order to God knows where to get the best price on printing and production. Like China is usually the answer to that. It's all accelerated. It's accelerated to the point now where it's less that you're thinking about different things, more that you're thinking about the same old stuff you're thinking about for almost 50 years, but you're thinking about it on a time scale where we've never encountered before. And that's the tricky part right there. The half-lives are just incredibly short. Yep. That was good. Uh, you are officially part of the Geek Gab family. <laughs> Normally, Daddy Warpig is the one who generates dead air, and that <laughs> that's it. No, Nobody has anything to say. That's awesome. Oh, seriously. Um, speaking of 
Kickstarters and Labors of Love. Uh, rumor has it that there's a couple of new um, settings coming out for Dungeon Fantasy RPG. Uh, who, who wants to talk about uh, who wants to talk about that? Well, I'm going to let Douglas take the lead on that because he's got the the coolest starring interest in, in, in this particular category of things. And I think I'd like him to talk it up if that's okay, Doug. Oh yeah, geez, you know, twist my arm. Um, so yeah, so what? So what? So what happened was um, the I came up with you know I've got this Dragon Heresy game and it's set in a Norse-based setting and I wrote a module uh, to demonstrate the dungeon grappling rules that I wrote and kickstarted. It was my first Kickstarter, um, and I took that to Gen Con 50, and that's where Sean and I actually met face to face for the first time and played dungeon fantasy role-playing game for the first time. Um, anyway, so I made this, this adventure and what most people don't know is that the dragon heresy setting started off as a dungeon fantasy prime line concept. Uh, we were talking around one of the GURPS, you know, my GURPS blog, or, or we we're talking around the GURPS, uh, uh, Google plus group and Jason Packer and myself and a few other people kind of iterated on a dungeon fantasy setting where you know the general premise of go into the hinterlands kill things and take their stuff um was supported without having to close your eyes and say blah 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 this doesn't work um you know and then you know we wanted it that that, that we wanted that conceit to be a core part of the setting and so i developed that into uh into into a game um and sort of went down the ogl D D uh uh srd route but once I did Dungeon Grappling and I published Lost Hall of Tear, I was like, you know, I wonder if Steve's Action Games would be interested in licensing this from me and converting Lost Hall of Tear into a game that let's tentatively call Hall of Judgment, which is actually the there's a little runic word on the front of the cover of Lost Hall of Tear, which is dome stolen, uh, and which means seat of judgment. It literally that's the whole thing. So Hall of Judgment is the less directly Norse version of that. And so, like any normal person would do, you send a note to the licensing director and say, I'd like to do this. And they say, okay, well, think about it. Um, and then they thought about it. And then, much to my surprise, because third-party uh, publishing uh, with Powered by GURPS is somewhat rarefied air, uh, they said, yeah, go ahead, do it. And so I said, yay! And yeah, so... Uh, I'm basically working a conversion of, of Lost Hall of Tear into Hall of Judgment. Um, a lot of the plot lines will be the same, but you know, Sean just wrote and published a uh, dungeon fantasy prime line. Uh, when I say prime line, there's the dungeon fantasy role-playing game, there's GURPS, and in between that, there's kind of that mid-step dungeon fantasy as a genre treatment, a worked example um, that uses the full GURPS rules, but is still in the same field. Anyway, he wrote something called Cavern Town, and I'll bump the ball over to you in a sec. But the thing that's awesome about Cavern Town is it's a fully detailed city setting. And as an outline of the things that adventurers and game masters need to know about the town that you're in, you can kind of do no wrong there. And so I will be using that as an example of rather than just say, oh, it's a town and you leave the town. The, the, the town, the starting point of Isfial, uh will be built into something a bit more. So the Hall of Judgment is not just going to be a one-to-one -one conversion. Oh, I'm just going to paper over this and use some whiteout on my computer screen to change that word to this word. I'm going to rework it a bit because there are things that I think I can do better. And so the 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 GURPS famous the, the, words. Yeah, I know. Uh, but but things like. Like like my I have a quantum ogre in the game, right? The the quantum ogre being the phrase, if people haven't heard it before, for an encounter that you can't avoid. Wherever you go, there's the ogre and you have to fight it. Now in Gen Con, when the whole point is to get into grappling fights with things, because it's a demonstration of the grappling system. Sure. Quantum ogre is fine. 
That's what you signed up for. Uh, if I hand this book to you and say, run this, and you have this series of unavoidable encounters, you're not role-playing in a setting anymore. And, and that's a legit hit on the way that I converted the linear adventure that was designed to have grappling fights into this module. So I'm going to fix it um, and, and make some of these encounters shiftable in time and space and potentially avoidable if you want to do that. And that's no skin off my back. Um, another thing, the map didn't matter. It didn't matter because it was theater of the mind and served to get you from point A to point B so that you can fight grappling fights. Well, if you're going to use the wilderness travel rules that were part of the, the module, map matters. You need to know where you're going. You need to know where you can get lost. So that's going to be a bit of an upgrade. The rest of the stuff is pretty solid and will be converted in both spirit and letter from the, uh, the creatures and traps and environments and stuff that, that are in the book to the Hall of Judgment um, supplement itself. So I'm going to, uh, once I get past my current uh, little project, I'm going to uh, set my pen to that. And, you know, having, uh, I think we, we agreed that August was a good date to aim for, which conveniently is Gen Con. Well, depends how, how you look at convenience. <laughs> Gen Con isn't always super convenient, but yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did add a couple things to what Doug said. Uh, first, yeah, I guess I should give the reasons why we said yeah. He sounded surprised that we said yeah. And the reasons we said yeah to Doug were very similar to the reasons why he used Kickstarter. We had to be realistic about how, how much the labor resources we could devote as a publishing company to a specific setting or game or what have you. And the thing is that... Adventure content's always a bit of a gamble, and it's much more of a gamble for anything to do with GURPS, however vaguely related, for one simple reason. GURPS, the G in GURPS stands for generic. It's a universal game system. It covers all kinds of genres, all kinds of settings, all kinds of styles of play. And you guess what that means for the audience. The audience is, 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 is fractured. The audience is not uh, uniform. There are people who want high tech, low tech, middle tech, no tech, lots of tech. There are people who want magic, no magic, or magic with cheese, or magic with, with two toppings, or the special magic, three toppings, two for one this week only. The point is that it's, well, yeah, well, that's special. But that's in the high tech book. It's called Hand Grenades. We've got lots of rules for those. It's awesome. But the, the key thing is that Looking at that, our experience was, okay, we can't really market adventure material that easily to GURPS fans because no two GURPS fans are really looking at the same thing. Adventures require uh, consistency of genre and consistency of setting. If you don't have people playing the same genre of game in the same general kind of setting, you can't really that easily use the adventure there. So a lot of people aren't going to buy it. What Dungeon Fantasy Roleplay did is narrow down the, considerably narrow down the genre to one that is Murder Hobo or least... I, that's perhaps I don't know. That's because they're rude in, in this podcast, but I, you know, I like it anyway. And setting was left a little bit vague. Uh, it's still not really got a lot of setting. It's left generic enough you could sort of set the dungeon crawling almost anywhere. And what Douglas is going to do is provide specific setting background that goes with his adventure, and that's going to provide a, a ready-made audience for adventure content that we don't have. And the thing is, to build that for us, you have to consider, Doug said, okay, Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, it's kind of an end result that came out of a stepping stone known as GURPS Dungeon Fantasy, which was a series which itself could dance down GURPS. You can sort of see where this is coming from. Um, it's telescoping. You've got GURPS, which is huge and generic, and it covers everything. You've got Derp, GURPS Dungeon Fantasy, I almost said GURPS, your GURPS Dungeon Fantasy, uh, and it's specific to the dungeon crawl genre, but it's still part of GURPS, which means it comes with the rules, complexity, and all that, that uh, you need to learn in order to really get the most out of it. And then you've got the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, which, which keeps the, the genre just like GURPS Dungeon Fantasy, but narrows further the rules. So you just have what you need to play the game. So we're already get this, we've already got this funnel. It's already getting, okay, more and more specialized. How far can we go specializing? on the company dollar and before we have our primary audience say, okay, guys, you're way too specialized. Yeah, I just wrote this for Bob. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, and, and, and when it comes right down to it, <laughs> we do what 
most companies do when they want something specialized. You outsource, you deal with somebody who's a specialist in that area, who's going to do a better job than you can do with more resources than you've got, with a thing you would love to do but really can't justify doing. And Douglas is doing that. We had our internal discussions. That's pretty much how we saw it. It's like, gee, well, this could probably work for somebody who's not us. It's not that it won't work. It's not that it's doomed. It's actually a pretty damn good idea. But we don't have the resources. The GURPS team isn't that big, and it's already working on all of GURPS, which is everything, high-tech, low-tech, et cetera, with or without pineapple. Now you've got this other game, and that's taking some resources off. How many resources can we afford to uh, slough off on before, okay, eventually we just don't have the staff, but enter the possibility of using someone who's not staff, which is Doug, which is, which is wonderful for us. And as for the Cavern Town setting, Doug kindly mentioned, it's for the Dungeon Fantasy uh, series for GURPS. It's GURPS Dungeon Fantasy. It's not for the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. So what it is, is not an attempt to usurp Doug's role of the creator of settings for a Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. Rather, it's an attempt to provide something that's justifiably part of the GURPS resource drain, I suppose you could call it, uh, to support the people who are playing the GURPS Dungeon Fantasy game. With the understanding that it's useful, really, in the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game for those who wish to do a little adaptation. But obviously, little adaptation is required. And that's a noble tradition in our hobby. So I don't really consider it to be some horrible, horrible task of dumped onto people. But nonetheless, it's you can't really compare these things in scale. The, the, the Cavern Town setting I, I wrote recently is relatively short. It's, it's not a huge box set with maps and full-color art all the rest it's a pdf runs to uh, around 50 pages and it relies heavily on referring outside of itself to the rest of the dungeon fantasy series and to gurps for many of its ideas so yeah you've, you've got a couple of different flavors here and uh what 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 i'm hoping to do with stuff like cavern town is let gurps players know that gurps does have setting it can support setting and perhaps suggest in a not too heavy-handed way that they take a look at other things that involve a significant amount of setting, like, for instance, Hall of ju Judgment, just say, for an example. So yeah, it was calculated for sure, but not in a evil rubbing my hands together marketing sense, more in a, um, well, if I'm going to do a setting, now's the time. And uh, I, I think uh, it could be very, very fun for people who always avoided groups in the past because they saw it as huge and rules heavy and not very accessible to maybe take a second look at something because now we're looking more at the fun stuff. What I consider the fun stuff, which is setting development and, and background development. You know, and the, the, the Hall of Judgment is going to be, you know, sort of denorsified a little bit, right? I'm not going to call it tier. We'll call it the Lord of Law or the Lord of, you know, God of Justice and War. We won't call it Scotty. We'll say, you know, it's the uh, the goddess of revenge um, and, and winter and a few other things, right? So that way, if you happen to be playing in an Egyptian setting uh, or Norse or, or, or Greek or whatever, uh, and you have equivalent um, uh, uh, deities, you can you can plunk it in there. But, you know, the thing that I'm trying to do with, with Hall of Judgment is well I, or the thing that i think that it appeals about hall of judgment from a business perspective um <clears throat> is you know i forwarded the laid out pdf this is done right so i have thousands of dollars of art assets that steve jackson games does not have to procure uh, i have a layout that i think is pretty nice and it's hyperlinked and, and, and. So, you know, they could look at this and say, okay, this is what it's going to look like. Um, and this is going to meet our standards. It's not going to be something where people are like, oh, wow, Steve Jackson Games is going to be uh, uh, brought low by associating with this Doug Cole guy. This games are just horrible. Um, so it, it was a good mix, right? It was, it comes from an existing base. A lot of the, uh, the assets, so to speak, are uh, paid for, uh, which yeah. makes it for a low cost of entry for everybody. Um, you know, and and I gotta say, I'm I'm very pleased with the contractual elements that were offered up that we're not going to discuss. But Steve Jackson Games is a good business partner. They've always been a good been a good business partner for freelancers. They pay, they pay promptly, and you know what you're going to get, and they, you get what you expect. Um, and so that's. Uh, you know, I think I wrote my first pyramid article in 2002. 
Um, so it's uh, it, it's I've been associating with this company for a long time for a reason, and that's because they're they're trustworthy and make good stuff. Well, thank you. And you brought up the ass word, which is to say assets. So I, I'll go into that for a second. That's actually a big deal for us as well. I left that out in my earlier discussion. But the fact of the matter is, the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, that big box, it took me a number of months to really go through the work of it. Uh, the amount of time I spend on the text is peanuts next to the amount of time we spent getting the art right, and the amount of money the art cost, and the amount of time required get the art from the artists and so on. To say that the art assets are attractive is an understatement. That's actually probably the single biggest limiting factor creating a marketable game these days is nice art, uh, rel relatively good quality, not so expensive you break the bank, in quantity and suited to the material. And that's a really tall order if you really think about it because come a long way from the days where you just find some random guy who's a little bit on the creepy side, kind of shady, hangs around the edges of the convention and say, hey, draw some basically naked women and then, oh, cover them up with some chain mail a bit, maybe, but not too much, which is sort of how art worked in fantasy gaming for a really long time. And it doesn't fly anymore. And to get the quality people want now is a lot more difficult. And I'm not too proud to admit that GURPS doesn't have the best reputation always of coming up with the greatest art. Uh, for a variety of reasons, but really comes down to it's just expensive. It takes a lot of time to get right. And um, when Douglas offered that part of things, needless to say, that was a huge part of the attraction. I'm not going to lie and say it wasn't. You know, Doug, your writing is great, but you've got these nice assets. And uh, well, yeah, that's very appealing when you have just come off a project where you turned in the last of the text and you spent half a year looking at revisions of art on little art galleries online from various artists day in day out and making comments like the coins on the left aren't dark enough or this guy's head is pointy it, it tires them after a while and and just uh, from a post that i made recently because because i'm a novice and a newbie in the industry i can afford to be very transparent with my business relations um i'm not I'm pay I, I never tell an artist that they're charging me too much. They'll offer a rate and I'll either say I'll pay it or I'll say no thanks. Um, and I've done both. Um, actually, there was a couple artists who I've said you need to raise your prices because your work is too good for what you're charging. Um, but at least for the games that I've developed, um, without going to print, uh, art, art direction and that sort of thing is, is fully 60% of the per page cost of of developing a book the other 40 percent being project management writing editing uh i would maybe i, I can't remember whether i put layout into the art column because it's more of an art than a than a text piece but you know writing editing indexing table of contents that kind of texty stuff uh project management is is basically about 40 percent ish um, and 60% for the way that I do things. I bet for now, and here's the other part, big thing. I'm talking to you from my workspace for where I do, do game development, also known as my den. Um, I don't have overhead. I don't have a staff of people that I have to, to compensate and, 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 and all that stuff. I don't have a building other than my house. Um, those are non-trivial costs for a real business. And, and so when Steve Jackson Games accepts my offer, uh, another thing that they're doing is making it so that all of that burden cost and administrative overhead is, is not part of the cost to develop and sell the game. So there's a lot more risks that you can take as long as you have faith that the game is going to be, the product is going to be worth buying. So, and Sean and I can do volleyball back and forth for about the next five hours. So please host, jump yeah, in yeah. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're longtime friends and we don't get a chance to actually talk real time much. So we could easily like, you know, riff this right into to, to very strange, fun areas that'll amuse the hell out of us, but maybe not the rest of everybody. I, I, I was actually fascinated by the, the talking about the artists and, and getting the right art and everything. Uh, that it reminds me of a, a, there's a story that I think it was from White Wolf, but I think it was Justin Chili who told it 
where they had to be learn to be careful about communicating to the artists what they wanted. The story goes something like they told the others, yeah, let's let's get a picture of some clown getting hit in the nuts with a baseball bat or something like that. And sure mm. enough, you know, a couple weeks later, the artist's like, okay, I'm done. And it was literally a circus clown getting hit with a baseball bat. And and everybody at White Wolf Studios just sort of put their heads in their palms and went, well, that's what we paid for. Yeah. But, you know, and, and yeah, and, and it's funny, though, because my uh, my art direction notes and my communication with the artists that I use, you know, obviously, initially, it was it was not great uh you know it's something that i i think that i've developed a talent for um or developed a talent i i i've developed a skill at but art direction is tricky especially when your biggest art talent is stick figures right which is which is about where i am um and but you know i'll tell you what you need to be you one i what i my my uh art direction is frequently pages and pages of stuff a lot of it is pictures um like for example there's a there's an image in dungeon grappling where uh, a woman is fighting and she has two broken cut and thrust swords uh and she's fighting this big thing um but you know went back and forth on on that one quite a bit because i'm like i need the weapons to look like this i need the armor to look like armor and not a chainmail bikini i have another image in dungeon grappling book that is two scantily clad women fighting a giant scorpion in an arena because the story behind that image backs up the scantily clad woman. They've got manacles on their ankles and stuff because it's a is that the trick? You thing. just you just you just make naked women part of your narrative and that's how you get all that art back in the books. He's got yeah, squid in his book. He's got squid grappling in his book. The I have squid likes, grappling. Like tentacles. You know, naked squid. Um the, the naked calamari. Um, there's a new supplement for you. Um, but Curves more seriously, calamari. right? I like yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I mean, more seriously, right? The the you want the art to fit the mood of the book. You want the art, to, and the dungeon grappling is sort of a de- generic treatment of grappling uh, in 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 games and fighting games. And so I wanted everything from a monster doing that. But even on that one, the the original image, so the original image with the naked women had these two scantily clad women tromping through the desert with these like 10 foot pole arms with giant axe heads. And, you know, I went back to the artist and said, okay, basic content and fight is fine, but these women are naked. They're carrying formation infantry weapons and through the middle of a desert. None of these things work together as a story. It's just titillating. Put them in a gladiatorial match with manacles on their ankles with deliberately inappropriate weaponry, and you preserve the content of the image, but you set it in something sensible. And I'm sure that there's a lot of that. Like, if you're trying to tell a story, you want the images to do the story. If it's uh, if you're just trying to convey uh, convey an image... You want to make sure that that the thing is sensible. Um, if you're, you know, I have no problem with, you know, beefcake, cheesecake. It's all good, but it needs to uh, um, make sense, even in that one little image that you're talking about. I was thinking about the business stuff that you're talking about earlier, as sure. far as reaching an audience with GURPS and with the dungeon fantasy setting. Um, I gotta ask that because the GURPS and Hero System are 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 they're, they're cousins in my mind, and they're geared towards the people who want a toolkit with which to create their own role-playing game. And and a game like Dungeons and Dragons assumes a setting, and the details are up to the dungeon master and the players. But it's it's. It, a Dungeons and Dragons world is much like every other Dungeons and Dragons world. So, honestly, what took it you what took y'all so long to get to a point where you wanted to reach those audiences that aren't into having a toolkit and they're ju- they just want to play this interesting setting that may be powered by GURPS, but who cares? Well, here's the thing: you, we talked earlier about the large, large number of third edition books, right? A huge number of those books were already devoted to uh, to ready-made settings. Really, they didn't absolutely 
require vast amounts of system overhead to understand or use. And those were always out there. The key thing is that they were aimed all over the place. There were some that were effectively prehistoric, some were futuristic, some were fantasy, some weren't. It was kind of a grab bag, and they were based, a decision which ones to do was based on two things. One, what stuff people at the company liked personally in their own in their own reading or film watching or whatever. And the other was what freelancers were willing to write up for us. And to a th certain extent, there was a third wild card, which was, and who wanted to approach us with a license in the case of licensed properties. But that was sort of here and there because there were all these influences, they're all scattered. But what's going on now is that we're looking, okay, what's actually very popular among, you know, in the gaming world? Well, realistically, there's fantasy gaming in first place, and then there's everything else put together in second through nth place, and all that stuff put together isn't as big as fantasy gaming. So you've got to be realistic about, okay, there's really basically two hobbies here. There's people who do fantasy roleplay, and there's people who do all the other roleplay in the universal game, like Hero or GURPS or what have you could cover. And that's not really an exaggeration. I think the numbers back that up. Last time I saw them, they backed that up nice and solidly. Um, so what's really happening here is that we're looking at what we used to do, which was have tons of books that support every kind of setting imaginable, and realizing, all right, RPG market isn't as strong as it used to be. It isn't as big as it used to be, realistically. So if we're going to concentrate our efforts, limited manpower, our financial overhead, et cetera, on something, we're going to focus a bit more laser-like on a specific goal. What's it going to be? The natural thing it's going to be is fantasy games. Because like it or not, you can say, okay, do something different, create if it's outside fantasy. It's not about dungeons and monsters and wizards and so on. You can, you can say that. You can even do it if you like. But at the end of the day, you're going to realize that you're not going to be as successful in a purely business sense, the word successful, than as if you just decided to go with the thing that people want to do. And this gets to something else I said earlier, which is this idea of this funnel, of this telescope, depending which end you're looking at. We have GURPS, which is huge and universal. We have the GURPS Dungeon Fantasy series, which really has been around for a while. I mean, it's 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 10th, 10th anniversary level been around now. It's not something new. And that's a recognition of the fact that that was the genre that was popular. And now you've got the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, which is the next the next step down that route. It's saying, all right, and on top of focusing on a genre, we got to focus on a rule set people can get their head around. And so what what's going on here is is basically people asked for it for a long time. What 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 I would like to call GURPS medium. There was always GURPS, which was everything. GURPS asparagus, we talked about that. Then there's something called GURPS Lite, which is also known as a marketing tool for selling GURPS, which is the free version of GURPS, which is a leaflet-sized GURPS. And every game practically now has something like that. But there was never really anything in between. And for a long time, people were calling for what I would call GURPS medium, which is heavier than light, but not GURPS asparagus. And that was hard to do in part because we weren't really sure it was marketable or a good use of manpower. And we still weren't sure when we started to create the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game if that was a good use of resources. That's why we went to Kickstarter, as we said previously. And uh, Kickstarter, I think, or if you want to be less uh, brand namey and more, more general, the, the option of crowdfunding was the thing which precipitated this, this change of, of outlook, this, this, this decision, okay, we're going to go ahead with this. It's it's amazing. I think that's that's the key. The crowdsourcing, crowdfunding has uh, totally changed the market and and enabled all of us to do and see and buy these great things. Well, we live in a different landscape now. We have the option of going to people ahead of time. I mean, previously people tried it ransom model where we want to. There's lots of people, lots of words for it. The point is, there were people who previous to the existence of formal as such crowdfunding we're doing things like saying if you pay me in advance i'll create a game for you but those projects always met well not always always is a strong word they regularly met with horrible ends and people didn't deliver what they were promising to people because the fact of the matter is you tell somebody up up front give me money now and later i'll promise i'll give you something really cool honest i mean i don't know about you guys but 
when somebody comes up to me and says something like that, I'm kind of looking around for cops and things like that. It, it, it's got a vaguely skeevy feel to it. What formal crowdfunding tools do is they kind of act like an escrow. They kind of act like a at least a referee. They give you some assurances. There's still, of course, everybody knows Kickstarters can crater horribly and you don't get anything. That happens. But it happens a lot less often as a percentage of the products that are being created this way. So that changed things. And the other thing that changed is the uh, everything's just so, I, uh, gee, wired makes me sound like I'm from the 80s, but everything's so wired these days. Uh, when I started gaming in 79, the option of doing things with people in a different city was would have been laughable. When I started working SJ Games in '95, it was still pretty iffy. We we actually sent files to people, and they came in big envelopes, printouts, and things with actual marker markup in blue pen and things. It was it was pretty spectacularly hefty and 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 vaguely low tech and a little little less than overwhelming or very overwhelming. You had to physically pick it up at the post office. The point being that it wasn't practical now. We just said we want to do something. We go online and tell people, yo, if you give us money, we'll do this stuff. Here's some mock-ups and concepts. And then it works, and great, we like it. Then we can go, yo, Douglas, you know, let's talk. Or Douglas, come to us. Guys, two Jackson Games, we can talk. Because it's a matter of shooting off an email. You can see the products, the mock-ups. We can share art galleries online. We can share a PDF, see what the layout's going to look like. Everything is now very transparent, very portable very accessible and very immediate. It's the tools we need to deal with what I talked about earlier, which is the idea that it's the same old stuff. It's just accelerating. The time scale is so short now. You have to have the, the mental turnaround time to do things rapidly. And these tools give us that. So that's the time we live in. You know, and one of the cool things about it, I'm going to talk about Hall of Judgment for a sec, just because um, when I sent the pitch shortly after... Um, they, the Steve Jackson game said, yeah, you know, this is something we might be interested in. First, I took a shot of whiskey. Then I doused myself in cold water. But then I grabbed my my Hall of Judgment, sorry, my Lost Hall of Tear cover, stole with Photoshop <laughs> um, a Dungeon Fantasy logo off my PDF, and talked to my, my layout guy and said, hey, I can't tell you why, but can you make a few of these changes to the cover? Um, and so I basically then emailed Steve Jackson Games. This I said, "Hey, here's what this could look like." Um, and then you know there was a discussion about April Fool's Day, which was nine kinds of fun for me. Um, <clears throat> and but the thing is, is that you know I was able to basically say, "This is what the book is going to look like," and you know here's the inside, here's the outside, um, and. It, it makes for a once things start to come together, it makes for a very compelling visualization. The flip side of that is that when you get something, I remember the first layout pass of Dungeon Grappling came in, and it was very, very modern. It was a square book that was made to look like a wrestling or boxing match ring. And I went back, I said, well, this is awesome, but it doesn't say dungeon to me. So let's keep working this concept. And, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, Nathan was like, yep, yep, yep. I wanted to try it because it was an idea and here's some other stuff. And we worked it, worked it, worked it. But it really allows some iteration to, to a mutual uh, 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 satisfactory piece of quality that uh, on a timescale that is very accelerated relative to to uh you know snail mail i guess but uh, <clears throat> but you know the 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 thing about the dungeon fantasy role-playing game and all that is you know having played gerps for a long time and having played dungeon fantasy role-playing game i just want to talk about rules a little bit because one of my favorite games was the old d6 star wars west end game right and that's basically one rule roll a bunch of dice and you know, uh, I think it was, yeah, roll dice and exceed a target number, right? And your scores were in dice and you rolled against a flat target number and it was all cool. Um, and the thing about the Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game is that it's done a nice job of really asking the question, do I need it? And if I do, how can I simplify it? Um, 
and it's a nice exercise in car- wood carving from <laughs> uh, from from a from a game design perspective, right? What are the uh, what is the minimum set of structure that I need in order to play hack and slash dungeon fantasy? Um, and and from an sort of an academic exercise in game design, um, it's nicely done um, to the point where. I took my 50 some odd page dungeon grappling book and my 50 page technical grappling book, GURPS martial arts technical grappling, um, and condensed it down to two pages, both for dungeon, uh, the Lost Hall of Tear, but I did the same thing for GURPS and we play tested it over the last week and it's really good. It's really good. Even if I do say so myself, it's, it's a little tiny edition, but it plays fast. I got rid of all the math so that you can just roll and shout. Um, and it adds it adds a lot without taking much away uh, and or burdening you with complexity. And so I feel like the DFRPG does a lot of that. Uh, no small part due to uh, a lot of good whittling in the magic system. Well, first, thanks a lot for the compliment, Doug, because that is a compliment. And second, yeah, I'll say that Art was the majority of the wait time and the effort, but in as much as text was an effort, and it was, uh, most of that was exactly what you said. It was the carving, it was the whittling, because I'm, I'm an editor by profession. I've been doing this now for, for far too long, um, most of my adult life in one form or another. Actually, editing words is the easy part. That's never really that tough. Uh, it's annoying, it's mechanic, mechanical, but you can do it. Anybody can learn to do it. Adapting rules to make them sensibly small and reasonably fun and not completely snoozeworthy is a little trickier. And that was actually the main work. And that's yet another aspect of needs lots of resources. Do we have the money that I didn't get into earlier? But can you afford to pay somebody to actually sit around not editing words on a page, not writing words, not creating word count in the usual sense that you can measure and have milestones for? Because project managers love milestones. They love give me a chapter, give me a page, give me two more pages, give me 2,000 words, we need something for the article next week. That sort of stuff is, it, it's easily, it's easily, it's quantifiable, it's easily seen, but it's very difficult to really um, say that's much of the work. It's not much of the work. It's just something you do to make some marketing guy happy. We need to show something to a magazine. The reality is most of the work is 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 in the work paring down of rules. And can you afford to pay some guy to sit around and do what amounts to a lot of beard scratching? I mean, I don't even have a beard. I shave. But the point is that I scratch where my beard would be an awful lot. I sat there making notes. I actually still have amazingly huge numbers of strange little post-it notes. I keep finding them around my desk here where I was doing math and drawing little diagrams and things to make the rules simpler. And can you afford to pay somebody to do that? And the answer probably is for a publisher, not really, not on, on the clock, but I'm on the clock. I'm, I, I work for Steve Jackson Games. So how do they afford to let me do that on the clock? The answer is, again, Kickstarter that provides the resources necessary to pay somebody uh, the amount of money it takes to have them spend the amount of time it takes to do the amount of rules condensation it takes. And I don't know if, honestly, I, I honestly don't know because I know tons of people in the industry, but how many publishers really think that's a good use of resources? I truly don't have a handle on whether people think that's a great way to spend money or a lousy way to spend money or really abysmally horrible, huge waste of money. I, I don't know. I do know that when I talk to project managers outside of my own business, outside of role-playing games, and I talk about, yeah, and then there's this guy who sits around and he thinks about things a lot, and he's thinking about how to make stuff simpler, and then it'll finally all come come together at the end, and it'll be X words you can actually sell. They kind of look at me like I'm insane, and they say, yeah, but what about the milestones? And... Yeah, right. people are obsessed with milestones, physical milestones, word count. So, and le- but let me turn that around a little bit because and and it's 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 a contrary by it's agreement by way of being contrary. Uh, yeah, you would, M- you would. Yeah, I know. 3M and IBM both had senior technical fellows whose job it was to. Is this a PG thirteen show? Sure. Okay. Um, or R-rated. Anyway, so point is, is we're going to quote 
the the classic of film cinema literature, Armageddon. I'm sure you guys at NASA just have guys sitting around thinking stuff up. And that's they actually have those positions. Their job um, was was to think or sit around and, and, and think stuff up. But it was only the most senior. It was only the most productive. And it was only those who had people had a track record. And you had 50 other thousand people who were meeting the milestones so that the half a dozen senior fellows could sit around and think stuff up. Um, and, and it's tough in, in a company the size of a Steve Jackson Games, which is what, 30 to 50 people, um, to, to have a single digit percentage of your company notionally just sitting around and thinking stuff up. Do you know whose job it is to do that at Steve Jackson Games? Steve. Really? <laughs> um, just based on the things that he said, he hired Phil to be CEO so that he could sit around and think stuff up. And he's the very top guy intellectually at that company from uh, his name is on the nameplate, right? So it, it's, a, it's a really interesting place where you recognize the value of that ideation. On the other hand, you can't have too much of it unless you're doing it like me as a hobby where I've got three or four projects in the hopper. One of them is a set of dogfighting rules based on control points and technical grappling. And the reason I haven't sent it to Stephen Marsh at Pyramid yet is because I keep telling myself simpler, 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 simpler. But you don't want it to break the game, so you need to have the G-forces and the equations and the math and whatever. But as the guy who wrote the gun design article in O2 and the Deadly Spring, which has the nasty transcendental equation table, it's really important to hide that, right? That's something you hide beneath the Band-Aid or pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It should never come out and play, right? If, if your rules are good enough, you'll get the feel of it through emergent behavior, but you should never have to calculate a G-load. You should say, I move three, turn one, hex, and go, and the game takes care of itself in a simple, fun way. And that's really hard, and it's really inefficient from a I'm paying you to deliver perspective. So, so it's, it's, it, it really separates it into I'm Wizards of the Coast and companies that side, and I can pay people to ideate, to do ideation, or you're a hobbyist, and you can think about it and do stuff. That middle thing is Mr. Miyagi territory. You get the squish just like a grape. That's a fun <laughs> Fun comparison. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, let's start wrapping up as it is now late in the afternoon in your time zone. Daddy Warpig, do you have anything else you want to ask or add? Uh, I'm afraid real life uh, has captured my attention. I've been listening, but I don't have a lot to add to the discussion. Apologies. We forgive you. We just wanted to hear your voice one more time before we close the show. Uh, Douglas Cole, any last words? Um, everybody back my current Kickstarter so that I can go do Lost Hall of Judgment. Um, no, um, you know, thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, I really think that we could be at the verge of something really cool here as Steve Jackson Games has published a Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game, which provides a wonderful pegboard off of which to hang things. Um, it's generic enough that you can do almost anything. It's specific enough that you know what your audience is going to be. Uh, so it's a great opportunity, and I hope that people are interested in Hall of Judgment and when it comes out, either straight out to retail or uh, uh, if there is a crowdfunding effort that has yet to be determined. I haven't even brought it up yet. Um, but if it's there, I'd, I'd hope that people come uh, uh, give both sides a reason to do more of it because I think it'd be a lot of potential there. Cool. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us on the show. Do you have any last words? Oh, uh, well, once again, thanks for having me here. And yeah, I'll just want to echo what Doug said. Support Doug. Support his uh, Hall of Judgment. Because frankly, uh, we've already had the conversation inside SJ Games. Okay, Doug's doing this. Great. Who else can do this kind of stuff? And it's not because we want to replace Doug or because we want someone else to do what he's doing right now. But if, if it proves successful, it proves popular, we're quite willing to follow up. The question is, will it? So help us answer the question. This isn't a pitch to make tons of money for anybody. This is strictly honestly because i'm actually kind of intrigued i'd like to see it happen so anybody who's listening and who's paying attention think that through 
uh, and anyone who might be interested in creating something like this in the future, like Doug's doing, keep an eye on us. Keep an eye on Doug. Make sure he does it right. Find him in dark alleyways. Beat sense into him. And um, we'll see how it goes. So thanks again, guys. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Thanks to my uh, special guest, Sean Crom Punch and Douglas Cole and my inimitable co-host, Daddy Warpig. Uh, this has been Geek Gap Game Night for Thursday, April 19th. If you guys want to find out about the Halls of Judgment and Dungeon Fantasy RPG, I've got links to all that good stuff in the show description on YouTube. If you're listening to us, you can find our show online at youtube.com slash geekgab. We're also available as a podcast on all kinds of streaming services such as iTunes and SoundCloud. That's all that cool stuff that Daddy Warpig does in the background. You can also listen to our normal show called Geek Gab or Geek Gab Prime. We do that most Saturdays. Uh, just last week, we had a whole bunch of great science fiction authors on. I don't know what's going on this week, but uh, as always, tune in for the best and most erudite uh, pop culture talk. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and game on.